We are continuing our series called Miracles. We're in week six now, uh, and we've been covering different types of miracles that God does, things we've seen in the scriptures and given various testimonies. And uh, it's important to understand that God is not asleep. God is not inactive. God intervenes in our lives, but we need to understand how God intervenes in our lives because we know that God can do anything, right? But God doesn't do just anything. If I was to pray for God to give me the ability to fly like Superman and I'm just going to believe and believe and believe, how's that going to go? I have no promise in the scriptures that God would give me the ability to fly. If I just, in my presumption, think if I just pray enough, God has to give me the ability to fly. I'm out there on my own, and I've got really no reason to believe that God's going to give me the ability to fly. So we need to understand what are the things that God actually does and how can we tap into those things that God does. And so we've been looking at categories of miracles through the scriptures to understand the types of things God does. And we started with the first miracle was the intervention in somebody's life to take them off of one path and put them on another. God has done this for me. God has done this for many of us in this room. God did this for a man named Saul in the New Testament who became the Apostle Paul. Jesus intervened in Saul's life when he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church and he changed him into the Apostle Paul, put him on a different road, gave him a different life. That's being born again, brought into a new life. Then we talked about the miracle of the baptism in the Holy Spirit being with the specific detail that we looked at with that being the heart change, the heart transplant, where God will give us new hearts instead of a judgmental spirit, a bitter spirit, a selfish spirit, a prideful spirit, a depressed or anxious spirit. God will put his Holy Spirit in us and we will walk in the fruits of the spirit, the joy the joy, love, love, joy, peace, patience. <laughs> Got that all messed up. Uh, but the fruits of the Spirit, which allows you to love the pastor when he says something wrong and <laughs> allows us to have that love that covers over a multitude of sins. And then our heart is different and we can walk in the fruits of the Spirit. Then we talked about visions, dreams, and the still small voice, about how God intervenes in people's lives by giving them dreams or visions. Those are somewhat unusual, still happen today. I've had about three seconds worth of open vision in the 28 years I've been a believer. Uh, That's a pretty small percentage of the time. But those things do still happen. But the The normal everyday hearing from God is the still small voice. So we want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that still small voice for God's leading. We'll probably do a series on that in the next year or two to understand better how to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit's prompting and my personal emotions and things like that so that we can be more in tune with the Spirit. We talked about dealing with the demonic And uh, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit yourself to God. That's very, very important. Otherwise, you're not under the authority of the Lord. You're standing there on your own and you're in trouble. But if you submit yourself to God, you're under his authority. And you can say to the demonic, shut up and get out. You can defend yourself. 
Very, very important stuff. Last week we talked about physical healing, praying for physical healing. We saw in Jesus' ministry, everybody got healed. It was amazing. In the apostles, everybody was getting healed. They're just like healings all over the place. And so what amazing stuff. Gave some testimonies of personal healings that I've experienced. And then uh, we also noticed that Sometimes we pray for people and they don't get healed. Have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed and they didn't get healed? Yeah, what do you do with that? And so we talked about how do we cope with that because we don't want to react in the wrong ways to that. Uh, The two things that we said we weren't going to do when we face prayer disappointment was start praying mushy nothing prayers. Don't pray mushy nothing prayers. Pray a prayer that has a point. If the disease is there, you pray for the disease to go, for the person to be healed and whole. Don't pray, well, Lord, whatever you want to do is cool, I guess. Uh, But if you don't want to do anything, that's cool. And uh, uh, we'll never know anything if you answer this prayer or not, because I didn't really say anything. Amen. You know, that's just not helpful prayer. Pray to the point that it would get accomplished. Don't slip into mushy nothing because you're afraid it's not going to get answered. And then we're not going to do the other thing, which is blame everything that moves. You know, Christians can be good at that. We don't want to blame everything that moves. Well, the pastor, you know, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, therefore he must not be a righteous man because the person didn't get healed. Well, but the person we were praying for didn't have enough faith. If they'd had more faith, they'd have gotten healed. Well, I guess it's God's plan, so it's God's fault. He doesn't want people to be healed. Well, whatever, it's my fault. I'm a bad person. God would never like me. Just quit blaming everything that moves, okay? Not helpful. It's not helpful. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go forward in faith without shame. We're going to trust God and then leave it up to God. Have Daniel type of faith. My God is going to deliver me and even if he doesn't, I'm not switching sides. I am with the Lord. Then we be teachable. We want to be honest, lay down our pride, pay attention because we can learn to receive healing better. We can learn to minister healing better. We want to do that rather than slip into these uh, coping mechanisms. And then go forward often. (laughs) Pray a lot. Do you remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. Is that an earth-shattering big deal? You're probably going to have lunch today, is my guess. And back then, they even had lunch. And he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Meaning, pray about everyday things. It shouldn't have to be an earth-shattering deal. If you are in the biggest crisis of your life and it's the first time you decide to pray, that's not good. You should be well-practiced. You should understand how prayer works. You should understand how God responds because you're praying on a regular basis over all kinds of things that are not that big of a deal. And so we go forward often. Today, the new material we're going to get into is being saved from circumstances, delivered from difficulties. That's the topic for today, being saved from circumstances. So let's pray. We'll get into the new material this morning. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. Thank you for each one that's in this place right now. Lord, we just yield to you. Lord, I pray that, uh, that by your Spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need right now. We're all dealing with different things. We're in different places, fighting different battles. 
And Lord, you know exactly where we're at and exactly what we need. So I pray by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need so that we can trust you more, believe in you better, and so that we can serve you more effectively. So Lord, help us today and bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Have you ever been in a jam and needed God to bail you out? Uh, I'm just going to sit and stare at you till I hear you. <laughs> if, you know, if you, that's where you get into bargaining with God. And I'm, I want to be careful. I'm not really talking about bargaining with God, you know, where you, you mess up your life and then you're like, well, if you get me out of this, I'll go to church and I'll start tithing and I'll, I'll apologize to my mom. And, you know, and you go off this list, right? And let me tell you this. God's kind and merciful. And if you found yourself in a place where you were bargaining with God and God rescued you from it, you do your part. Even if that was 30 years ago and you said you would do something if God would bail you out, you do your part. If he did his part, you do yours. But today we're not really talking about bargaining with God. We're talking about God intervening in circumstances. Let me give you a couple of testimonies from my own life. One is fun. One's a little bit more serious. Uh, the fun one is from many, many years ago. I was invited with my wife to go fishing in Canada with her family. Her uncle had a cabin up in Canada. I'd never gotten to go to Canada fishing. I very much enjoyed fishing, so it was a great opportunity. So got to go. And uh, you may think I've got everything together. I'm a very organized and sophisticated professional human being. However, there's another side to me. And uh, here's how I planned my trip fishing to Canada. I had recently been to McDonald's and gotten the big size meal. And so I had one of those plastic cups, the large size plastic cups. And I thought, well, I have a container. I need to bring some fishing lures. So I grabbed my fishing lures and I threw them in the cup and I went to Canada fishing. So this was my tackle box, this cup I had in the floor of my car. And it worked pretty well throughout the week. Uh, But then when we were done, I had a really good time and I wanted to uh, give a a show, a sign of my appreciation. And so I thought, I'm going to leave this fishing lure that worked really, really well with a little thank you note on the table in the cabin. And the perfect opportunity arose. We're going to take a family picture and then we're all going to get in the cars and drive away. And I'm like, awesome, give me just a second. So I ran around into the cabin. I've got like a minute before somebody's going to come chasing after me. And I grab my cup full of lures and I grab the thing I want to give them and I pull on it and everything came as one. Have you ever had all your fishing lures tangled together? And the clock is ticking and I'm thinking they're going to come and look at me and I, I want this to be a a fun, you know, thing that they didn't see. And so I just prayed as fast as I could, Lord, I want to leave this lure. Please let me get it out of there. And I came right out, set it down, wrote the note, gone, back in the car. Nobody saw it. Fantastic. Isn't that cool? God would untangle your fishing lures for you. Now, it was my fault. It was a bad organizational plan to put them in a cup. And uh, God just was being nice to me. So hallelujah for that. God... Saved me from the circumstances that I had put myself in. That's a fun one. 
Another time, I was driving at night. You know, it was dark over by Bemidji years and years ago. This is also years ago. And I was driving on a frontage road by a grove of trees. And then there was a train track. And then there was Highway 2, divided highway. And I was turning right, you know, around the grove of trees, over the tracks, and then on to Highway 2. And again, I'm old. You may have no idea. I'm an old, old man. This was when they, they, didn't have, they didn't have lights on the things. They just had the little X up there, and you just had to look for the train. You know, it was up to you. And so I looked over my right shoulder to see if there was a train coming. I saw a light, but I thought it was a car on Highway 2. I get around the trees, you know, I'm, I'm peeling around a corner, and it's not a car on Highway 2, it's a train on the train tracks. And so it's much closer than I thought. And it's winter, and it's icy, and I, you know, this is before ABS brakes and that sort of thing, so I put the car in neutral and start pumping the brakes, and I'm skidding and sliding, and I finally get it stopped, except... It stops on the tracks. So I slid up on the tracks. And I look through my window and there's a train closer than that wall. And I drop the thing into low, hit the gas, and whoop, nothing. I, I thought, I'm going to die. And nothing touched me. I got off the tracks on icy tracks that I slipped up onto. And I didn't have time to pray. I, you know, I got three little kids at home, though. And God, I assume, God took care of that for me. And so, whatever the case is, I'm just praising the Lord in that situation. Thank you, Lord, that that wasn't my last day on this earth. Hallelujah for that. God intervenes in this world. Now... Let's look at a story that we started in the book of Acts when we were talking about dealing with the demonic. And let's continue on through that story because we have a deliverance from circumstances in that same story. So Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. This is an account of Paul and Silas when they were in the Roman colony of Philippi. Now, Philippi is famous because it's the town that the church was in that the book of Philippians was written to by Paul. So Paul is in Philippi and he's ministering in Philippi and you see the things that happen and then when he writes them a letter later on, it's the book of Philippians. And so we'll read a little bit of that towards the end. But Acts chapter 16, again, we're in Philippi. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. So, you know, hey, these are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. That seems like a good thing to say. Why is Paul so bothered? She was shouting it for many days. It'd be like somebody in the congregation just keeps yelling, there's Pastor Mike up there 
teaching you about the Word of God, you know, just kept saying that over and over and kept interrupting the service over and over and for many days. How many days is many days? I would say it's at least three. (laughs) It might be ten. I don't know. But it was many days. So Paul the Apostle is trying to bring the Word of God to the Roman colony of Philippi. He's trying to get people saved, trying to get a church going. And this girl keeps interrupting everything all the time. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Christ Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Why would he wait many days? And finally, he just can't stand it anymore, so he deals with it. Why did he wait? Well, I think Paul knew that there was going to be a price he would have to pay if he deals with this situation. Have you ever had something you had to deal with, but you didn't want to, because you know there'd be difficulties that would come if you dealt with it? That's the situation here, and let's see what those difficulties are. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Now, they didn't say, oh, who are you guys? You can't do this. You know, They were quite convinced that the demon was cast out. She'd now lost her power to predict the future. They knew that that had happened. So instead of saying that you guys don't have power to do that, they're, gonna, they're like, we're suing you. You ruined our property. So they're bringing them to face the authorities. Verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. These aren't Romans. We don't like these people. These men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. I wouldn't want to be flogged. And this says severely flogged. This is the culture that crucified Jesus because they didn't like what he said. Severely flogged. They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we're talking about deliverance from circumstances, being saved from circumstances. When exactly is that going to happen? You know, God didn't deliver them from the annoying girl that kept interrupting the meetings. God didn't solve the problem when the slave owners brought them before the magistrates. God didn't give them favor with the magistrates or the crowd. God didn't keep them from being stripped and beaten. God didn't keep them from being imprisoned and their feet being put in the stocks in the inner cell. They went through all of these things. So when is this story going to start getting better? It's going to get better in just a little bit. But let's make sure we're grasping everything. Let me ask you this question. How would you feel if something like this happened to you 
while you were serving God to the best of your ability. Where you've said, Lord, I am sacrificing all things for you. I am forsaking everything to serve you. I just want to shine your light in this world. And I'm going to share your truth. And it gets you harassed. So the meetings aren't going very well. And then it gets you beaten and imprisoned. How would you feel about that? Could that possibly put a wedge between you and God where you start thinking, hey, (laughs) I've been serving you as best I can and this is what I get? Have you ever been in that spot? Let's look at the reaction of Paul and Silas in verse 25. Next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They're having a prayer meeting, and they're having a special time of worship and praise. They're singing to the Lord. They're singing His praises. They're honoring God in the inner cell at midnight because I'm pretty sure they can't sleep because they've got open wounds from the beating. Their feet are in the stocks. They're not sure to make sure that the prisoners are comfortable. I mean, this is, I'm sure they haven't eaten anything. This is a bad situation. And so they're deciding, let's have some church. Let's worship and honor God right here in the middle of this prison. So, They do that. The other prisoners were listening. And I believe these other prisoners were amazed because they're in the prison too. They know what it's like to be thrown in prison. And they were having the emotional responses that come from being thrown in prison. And in that day, I'm sure some of them were guilty and some of them were innocent. Because it doesn't seem like it took a whole lot for somebody to be flogged and thrown in prison. If somebody doesn't like you, they say, I don't like them. And then they just beat them up and throw them in prison. And so I'm sure some were guilty, some were innocent. They're going through these things. But they see these two men... Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to their God. And they're thinking, how can you be honoring your God when you're in the inner cell with your feet in the stocks? There's a powerful testimony there when a person goes through very harsh circumstances, but they go through it loving the Lord with all of who they are and staying faithful to God. When you can love God and be faithful to God in the midst of very difficult circumstances, it shows something about what you've got on the inside to other people. And I think these prisoners saw that, they were amazed by it, and they were listening. Paul and Silas had that thing on the inside where they could praise God on this day. What would it take for you to have that on the inside of you? Where it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life. You're up for the prayer meeting. You're up for the worship time. You're up to sing God's praises. Whatever's going on. Everything taken away from you. You're beaten and bloodied, not treated and thrown in prison. 
singing God's praises? What would you need to have on the inside to be that person? Let me ask you this question. What's the smallest thing that's happened to you that's made you mad at God? How trivial of a thing can get in your heart, put a wedge between you and God? Some people have been through some extremely harsh things. But sometimes little things will be a wedge. Let's try to grab hold of this. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's incredible. And it's real. You can't fake that. If you're faking a relationship with Christ and you're in horrible circumstances, you're just going to cry. But if it's real, there's something deep in there. And Paul and Silas knew they were at the front lines of the battle and they're praising God. And then... God responds. And I think, I I don't have the theology for this, but I think God was watching this situation. He's seeing Paul and Silas go through all these horrible things and they're singing his praises and he just can't take it anymore. So he's going to stick his hand down there and he's going to shake that place up. And so that's what we get in verse 26. Next verse. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, This is the gospel. And this is why when it said that they were listening, I think they were believing. Because everyone's chains come loose. Not just Paul and Silas. Every prisoner, innocent or guilty, all their chains came off. All the doors opened. Everybody's set free. That's how the gospel works. When we receive it, we get set free. But those who see what's going on in our lives, if they've got a heart in them, they see it and they get set free. And the power of God is shown. All the chains came loose. Now, If you were in Paul's position, what would you think of the jailer? Would you like the jailer? Or would you dislike the jailer? He puts you in the inner cell with your feet in the stocks. I wonder what the jailer said to Paul when he put him there. Probably something unpleasant. What would you think of the jailer? Paul's heart was soft toward the jailer too. Let's keep reading. 27 and 28. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now let me ask you this question. If you were in that prison 2,000 years ago and it's midnight and your chains fall off, and the doors open, and you're guilty, and you know what they do to guilty people, what are you going to do? You're going to run. 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. This is amazing because it's dark. Paul cares about the jailer, says don't harm yourself, but Paul also knows that nobody left. How does Paul know that none of the prisoners left? Their chains fell off. The doors are open. He's only known them for a few hours. 
And it's the normal inclination to just run. How does Paul know they're all still there? And they were all still there. I believe that Paul and Silas were sharing the gospel throughout the night during their prayer and worship meeting. And that the people, the other prisoners, received the Lord and got saved. It's the only explanation for why they didn't run. And I think Paul said when the chains all fell off, Paul just said, hey guys, why don't you stay here? God's not done with this night yet. And they all stayed. He said, you got it, man. Something good's going on here. And they stayed. So Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't think he called them sirs earlier in the day when he locked them up. Here he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? All the prisoners are set free. The chains fall off. The doors open, but they stay. The jailer goes from suicidal to wanting to be saved. And we'll read what happens next, but I want to take a moment just to talk about the reality is that there are people that contemplate ending their lives. This jailer was in a place, he's going to kill himself. It's his responsibility to keep the prisoners. He knows what they do to people like him when they fail. He's going to just end it. And God intervenes through Paul and the other prisoners staying to protect the jailer. And the jailer then says, I I want in on this thing. How would the jailer know to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? They had to have been talking about it. That's why I think Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel while they were doing the prayer and worship time. They had hours. What must I do to be saved? If you're thinking about ending your life, let me give you another option. Give it to Jesus instead. If you're done with it, just give it to the Lord. He's got things He'll do with it. He'll do good things. Don't give it to death. Give it to Jesus if you're done with it. Give it to Jesus. It's a way better option. God will use you and do incredible things. So the jailer kneels before them. What do I need to do to be saved? Here's the answer. Verse 31. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. So they're explaining what it means to believe in Jesus, to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, to give your life to him and to follow him. They're explaining that about the kingdom of God and all these things. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. So they don't wait for the sun to come up. They're like, we need to have a baptism service tonight. So they they all get saved. The jailer, his whole family, all these people, they have a baptism service in the middle of the night before the sun comes up. They're all baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So they, they feed Paul and Silas. The jailer's filled with joy. His whole family is saved, grabbing hold of everlasting life. An hour ago, he was going to kill himself. Oh, this is a miracle. This is incredible. This is God intervening in this world and doing amazing things Saving Paul and Silas from these circumstances, but also touching the prisoners, touching the jailer and his whole family. God did amazing things. Is this, is this the happily ever after moment for the Apostle Paul? He's been beaten and imprisoned, but now God makes his chains fall off and the door opens and everybody likes him now. And later on, they find out he's a Roman citizen. So the magistrates come and escort him out of the prison. And he makes a big deal about that. And so the tide turns and now he's in control and happily ever after. Nope. He's not done suffering for the kingdom of God. He's not done going through hardships. Paul goes to prison again. And this time... The last time Paul went to prison, he didn't get out. He died at the executioner's hands. And while he's in prison, he writes a letter to the people in Philippi. He writes to them who were there when this miracle happened. And we see that. Let's let's look at that a little bit. I wonder who was there. In the Philippian church. And it was the jailer there? Were some of those prisoners there? You know? Who all was there? Who was Paul writing to? Paul explains his situation. He writes them a letter to thank them because they had sent a gift to help him when he's in prison to meet his needs. Paul writes to reassure that somebody they love and care about who is sick, he says, no, they're, they're doing good now, they're healthy now. Uh, and he also writes to tell them to quit quarreling and having bad attitudes. Because the Philippian church, they were fighting with each other and having bad attitude problems and stuff. Imagine going through all these things and seeing these incredible, amazing miracles from God and still having a bad attitude. It's amazing. But... Have you ever seen a miracle from God and then doubted God after that? People are just like that, I guess. So he writes to him, tell him, quit quarreling and stuff. And here's what he writes. We'll read a few verses from Philippians chapter 1 and then 12 through 14. So Paul's in prison again. He's writing to the Philippian church who've seen him be in prison and seen him with character rise up Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So he's saying, I've been able to preach to the palace guard. They're understanding I'm in chains for Christ. Other people are seeing what I'm going through and they've been emboldened to to suffer because they're seeing the example that Paul is giving. And so in this situation, the chains don't fall off. 
but it's a testimony to others. And then Paul gives a charge to the church in Philippi. A charge is, here's what I want you guys to do. He charges them with something. We're going to read that in just a minute, but I want to invite the prayer teams up before we read that. This charge that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi was a charge to those who had seen him suffer, who had received the gospel, and were now trying to serve the Lord as best they could, but again, they were squabbling with each other, and there were some things going on that weren't perfect, and so Paul writes to them to encourage them. And so Paul could be writing this to us. This is just a church. Paul had a special relationship with them. But the things he says to them apply to us just as much. Philippians 1, starting in 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whatever your circumstances, you may not have control over the circumstances, but you have control over your heart and you can conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you, meaning he gets out of prison, or I only hear about you, or, uh, sorry, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man, For the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So there were people opposing. This is Philippi. This is where Paul and Silas were severely flogged and thrown in prison. The church there is being opposed. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw me go through, what did Paul go through? He went through beatings and imprisonment. He says, now you're going through that, and I'm still going through it somewhere else. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is the crux of the matter. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is a verse that will keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Your attitude, your your inner person should be the same. Was Jesus saved from his circumstances? Sometimes. There was one time where a crowd wanted to kill him and he just walked right through the crowd and made his escape. But there was one time 
where he asked his father, if there was another way this could work, I want out. When Jesus was praying and preparing his heart to go to the cross, he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And the Father's will was, Son, you are going to the cross. You will be beaten. You will be crucified. And you will die on that cross. And at that moment, the Father didn't deliver Jesus from that circumstance. But instead, He gave Jesus the strength to walk through it in victory. The strength to carry his cross and know it was worth it. The heart to say in the midst of it, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Father gave Jesus the the strength to walk through the difficulty in victory. All of us are going through circumstances. Some of them, when we ask the Lord, he'll he'll take the problem away. Hallelujah, I love that. But sometimes he'll say, I want you to show your character while you walk through this. And I will strengthen you to get through it. But you have to walk through it. And so let's believe God today. Let's, let's ask him to deliver us from circumstances. But let's also ask him for strength. We'll pray that together as a group. And then I'll open up the front for individual personal prayer. When, when we're done praying corporately, come on down, receive individual prayer. If you're, if you're like the jailer and you're thinking, what do I need to do to be saved? Come down. They'll help you start a relationship with Jesus. If you've got a physical need, you need physical healing or a relationship healed or you need a financial miracle or you just need an encouragement and a blessing, just a hug from heaven. Come down and get prayer. Don't wait till it's a catastrophic situation to receive. Let's pray together first. Let's ask God to help us as we go through the difficulties of this life. So Heavenly Father, we honor you in this place and we worship you. Lord, I pray you would give us hearts like Paul and Silas who when they were going through tremendous difficulties were singing your praises, were sharing your truth. They were having prayer meetings. They weren't dropping into despair and getting angry with you. They were loving you in the midst of it. Lord, give us that kind of strength. Lord, that there would be no circumstance in this world that would shake our faith in you. Give us that. Lord, I pray that as there are things that we're dealing with, the trials and struggles of life, that you would see us through. Lord, I pray that you would save us from the circumstances and the difficulties. Lord, that you just bring us through them and and that we'd have smooth sailing. But Lord, I know sometimes you call us to just have strength in the midst of it. Just like Jesus on his way to the cross, there are times that you don't take the difficulty away, 
but you strengthen our hearts. So Lord, I pray that we would see the difference, that we would believe you for the deliverance from the circumstances. But Lord, that you would give us that strength to walk through this life, whatever it throws at us, staying faithful to you, loving you fully, and serving and honoring you. Give us that strength, Lord. I pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray your peace that passes all understanding would just cover us and comfort us. Lord, I pray that your love would well up in our hearts for each other, for our neighbors, for all people in this world. Lord, that your light may shine and that people may glorify your name. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.